Isn't this a wonderful picture and a very clear one of our own position before God? If you come to him on your own, if you come to him and say, well, Lord, here I am, and here's my life, and here's what I've done, and I hope you're going to be pleased with it, what you're going to find is he's going to speak to you harshly. But if you come to him in the company of his dearly loved son, you will be welcomed into his home for the sake of the dearly loved son. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, there may be people who do everything they can to live a good life, but they're missing something really important. Yeah, that's right. And we're in the story of Joseph, where the brothers come to Joseph in Egypt on two different occasions. The first time they come on their own, and it does not go well. But the second time, they come with Benjamin, who is the dearly loved son, and they are welcomed, and they are fed, and it's an altogether different scene. Now, here's what we get from that. Try to come before God on your own, and it will not go well. Come before God with the dearly loved Son, who is Jesus. You're going to be welcomed. You're going to be fed. You're going to be brought into the banqueting house. And all that is in the story of Joseph that we're looking at today. We see that in Genesis chapter 43. So join us there as we hear the next part of the message, Welcomed and Fed. Here's Pastor Colin. When the brothers come on their own, the great ruler speaks to them harshly. But when the brothers come in the company of the dearly loved son, they are welcomed into the governor's mansion. They sit at his table. Why? Because they are with in the company of the dearly loved son. Now, of course, this kindness being welcomed into the governor's mansion takes the brothers completely by surprise. The last time they were here, the governor spoke harshly to them. And they're expecting more of the same. And so they say in verse 18, the men were afraid. Even when they're brought into Joseph's house, they're still afraid. They think, oh, we're being set up. It is because of the money, they say, verse 18, which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in. We've been brought into the house so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants, and to seize our donkeys. I love that last bit. They're very worried about the donkeys, you know. What, what, uh, yeah. So when they're welcomed into the house, they say he's bringing us into the house because he's going to attack us. That's what's going to happen. They're so sure that they're not going to be shown kindness. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that that is exactly what happened in the story we looked at last week of the brothers and the way they treated the Shechemites. Remember how they had launched, it was an atrocity, they had launched a sudden attack on the Shechemites when these men were in no position to defend themselves and had wiped them out completely. And check that out in um, Genesis in chapter 34. And isn't it interesting that the way that they expect to be treated is a direct reflection of how they themselves have treated others. They expect Joseph to do to them as they once did to the Shechemites. It's very, very revealing. And often it is the case that a person deeply expects God to treat them in precisely the way that they have treated 
God. And when you think about it, that's not surprising. What is surprising here in this story is that their expectation of being attacked and of being wronged and all of this is completely upturned because all that they are shown when they're brought into this governor's house in the presence of the dearly loved son is the most remarkable love and the remarkable kindness. So let me move to the second snapshot of this kindness, which is about the steward in verse 19 to 23. They are afraid. They think that they're going to be attacked even though they've been welcomed. They think it's about the money in the sack. And so they go to the steward, verse 19, and they speak with him at the door of the house. And in these next verses, they explain to the steward. Now, look, here's what happened. In our last visit, we came and we bought grain. We bought it from you. And um, when we were on our journey home, we found that the money was back in our sacks. And we don't really know how it got there, but we brought the money and we want to give it back now to you. And the steward replies, verse 23, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Now, this is amazing. This Egyptian steward is telling these people about their God. And remember that the brothers thought, well, God must be against us. When they found the money in the sack, they said, what has God done to us? Now here's an Egyptian steward who says, what you guys don't seem to realize is evidently your God has done something for you. Because I got your money. So I got no problem. So if money was put in your sacks and if, if, if money was found in your sacks, the only thing I can think of is that your God must be very, very kind and he must have done something for you. And they're thinking God's against us. And here's this Egyptian steward and he says, you guys don't seem to realize how much your God is for you. Wonderful. Third snapshot of kindness. So the first is they're welcome. The second, the steward proclaims the abundant goodness of their God and says, don't be afraid, be at peace. Third picture of kindness here is the um, the release of Simeon, verse 23. And he brought, the steward brought Simeon out to them. So here the promise is fulfilled. If Benjamin's brought back, Simeon will be released. I suspect that with all that we're told that was in the brothers' minds, they uh, must have thought that what might well happen is that they would be thrown into the prison alongside uh, Simeon. You know, uh, we're being brought into the house so that we're going to be attacked, we'll be overwhelmed, our donkeys taken away, and all the rest of it. But here's a governor who is as good as his word, who keeps his promises. And when Benjamin comes, Simeon is released. And can you imagine the joy of this scene? It's not described to us in detail, but what a great moment it must have been. Simeon is restored to the other brothers. I wonder what he said to them. What took you guys so long? (laughs) And they're saying, oh, you know what dad's like about his dearly loved son? He wouldn't let him go. And I wonder if this had been in Simeon's mind. Remember, Simeon was part of the giving up of Joseph. Would it not have been in his mind, don't you think, that if these brothers are the same towards me as all of us were towards Joseph, I'm going to be here in the slammer for the rest of my life. I'm never going to get out. They're just going to move on. We gave up Joseph. If they give up me, I'm done for. 
So here the brothers are back, and there's evidently even in that some change that is going on. Oh, I'm so glad that there's some change that has happened. And, and you know what? His getting out is all due to the fact that the father sent the dearly loved son, and that Benjamin was there, and now they're in an entirely different relationship with all the authority and power of the land. Fourth snapshot of God's kindness. The banquet. And this is verses 26 to 34. So all of the interaction has been with the steward in this first part, the welcome, the release of Simeon, the uh, wonderful um, uh, promise that the steward made to them, giving them these words of peace. But now Joseph himself, the great man, appears. And remember, he knows the brothers, but the brothers don't know or recognize him. He's speaking a different language. He's got the Egyptian aristocracy's face paint and cosmetics and all of that on, and uh, they don't for one minute have a clue that the one who owns this great mansion is, in fact, their brother. But he arrives. And notice how different this is from the first interaction. No speaking harshly now. Verse 27, he asks about their father, Verse 29, he pronounces, Joseph pronounces words of blessing over Benjamin. And then he brings them into a lavish banquet. Now, notice, and this is significant, that there are three tables. Uh, Joseph is sitting on his own at one table. The brothers are sitting together at another table. And then the other Egyptian members of the household are sitting uh, grouped on a third table. So what is that telling us? It's telling us that reconciliation has not yet happened. That's still further down the line. You need to read ahead to uh, chapter 45 before Joseph finally reveals himself and the full reconciliation is complete. But what we're seeing at this stage in the story is that a remarkable change has already begun that conscience has been awakened, that love is now being poured into this very broken situation. Reconciliation is on the way. And there's something very important here with regards to our own relationships, forgiveness, seeking to cross bridges of alienation. And it's this, kindness comes first, repentance comes later. That's Romans 2.4 that we looked at last time. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Kindness comes first. Repentance comes later. What's happening here is that barriers are being lowered. Perceptions are being changed. Experience is different. The harsh words giving way to expressions of love and of kindness. The way is being prepared for a reconciliation that is going to take place very soon now. And God is working and moving in that marvelous and wonderfully healing direction. And isn't this at the heart of the gospel? It was while we were still sinners that God commended his love towards us and that Jesus Christ died for us. Kindness first, repentance later. Now, let's just think about that personally for a moment. How many ways have you experienced the kindness of God? I mean, just thinking in terms of the breadth of your life. All the days you've had health. Why was that? That's the kindness of God. Your work. 
Your gifts and your talents, where do you think they came from? They were given to you. What do you have that you did not receive? The home that you live in, the income that you have been able to sustain and to generate, the lifestyle that you have been given, the fact that you're in this country where we have so many gifts and blessings and advantages. Where did all these gifts come from? Why are they yours? Well, they came from the hand of God. And how are you going to respond to this kindness that has been lavished into your life, one good gift after another, from the hand of God, the Father who is in heaven? None of these things are yours by right. None of these things belong to any of us because in some way we deserve them. No, it is God's kindness. And God's kindness to us is not intended that we should live lives therefore of self-indulgence. God's kindness to us is in order to lead us to repentance. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message, Welcomed and Fed, part of the series, Snapshots of a Godly Life. We'll get back to the message shortly. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. That means that it's brought to you by the generosity of you and people like you. This month, if you're able to support the work of Open the Bible with a gift of £5 or more on a regular basis, we'd like to send you a thank-you gift. It's a book called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. It's one of Colin's favourite books, and we'd love to send you a copy. You can find out details of this on our website, openthebible.org. And now back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. We saw a reluctant father who's a kind of anti-type, a contrast to the father who freely gives to us his dearly loved son. We've seen these rebellious brothers who are now aware of their own sin and their own guilt, and they do see that they need to change, and they're beginning to change. And what's moving this forward is that love and kindness is being poured out upon them. Then here's the last thing, the identity of Joseph. Remember, they don't yet know who Joseph is. They're eating at his table, and they don't yet know whose table they are at. And so let me just give to you these descriptions of the identity of Joseph that obviously point us to Jesus Christ. Who is Joseph? He is the ruler who knows them even though they don't yet know him. That's who he is. Joseph knows all about the brothers. They, they don't know anything about him. They've not realized who he is. And yet he knows everything about them. And I don't know if you saw this or noticed it in the reading, but there's just a marvelous little snapshot of that in verse 33. When they're brought into the banquet and they're all seated at this table together, they were seated in exactly the order of their birth, from the oldest to the youngest. Now, can you imagine this happening? So here's the steward, brings them in, and you sit here, this is for you, and you sit here, yeah, it brings out the seat, and they're all seated, and then they look at each other, and suddenly it dawns on them, we've been seated in exactly our birth order. How in the world... 
does this guy know the order of our birth? We don't know anything about him, but he seems to know an awful lot about us. It's remarkable. The ruler who knows them, even though they don't yet know him. And then he is the brother who loves them, even though they don't yet love him. So interesting that when the brothers speak about Joseph, they're back home talking to Jacob, and they're referring to this man who is in Egypt, who's the governor of Egypt. Uh, They don't know his name, uh, so they, they simply refer to him as the man. And uh, if you look through chapter 42, 43, I found five times that the brothers refer to Joseph as the man, you know, the man in Egypt. And then Jacob picks up the same thing, and twice he refers to his own son as the man in the same way as well. Isn't that exactly how a person who doesn't know God tends to speak? You know, the man upstairs, you know, God, whoever he, she, or it is, no knowledge of God, no love for God, not in that. But actually, the one who's referred to as the man is the brother who loves them, even though they haven't yet recognized who he is, and therefore they do not yet come to love him. And what else is he? He's the victim, thirdly, who is ready to forgive them. He's the one that they have sinned against. They know that they've sinned. They've got to the place of saying we're guilty. What they don't know is that the one they've sinned against is the one at whose table they are sitting. And uh, they've not yet seen that their sin is against him. He was the victim that was put in the pit. But he was the one who was taken out of the pit and now has been raised to the position of governor and he's ready to forgive them when they come to the place of recognizing that actually their sins were not just moral guilt, they were sins against him. Now, you look at these three descriptions and it's very obvious to what they are pointing or rather to whom they are pointing. Who is Jesus? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's who Jesus is. Jesus is the ruler who knows you. He is the brother who loves you. And he is the victim who is ready to forgive you. That's who Jesus Christ is. And my great prayer for this series is that like the brothers who eventually came to know Joseph, you will come to know Jesus Christ and that you'll come to see that he is the ruler who knows everything about you. Before a thought is in your mind, he knows it. Before a word is on your tongue, he knows it completely. Now, whether you think that's good news or bad news depends on whether he's for you or whether he's against you and whether you're for him or whether you are against him. But for those who come to trust him and those who come to love him and those who come to discover that he's also our brother who loves us, then you'll be able to say like David, you know everything about me, you know me completely. And that knowledge is too wonderful for me. Remember the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus knew everything about her, even though she did not yet understand who he really was. She didn't know that he was the son of God when she met him and he asked her for a drink. And Jesus told her things that only God could know, secrets of her life. And then she goes running into the town of Sychar. And what does she say? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
And she's joyful about it, despite the fact that many of the things that she did that he told her about and that he knew about were things she should never have done. Why was she so joyful about it? Because she knew that he was not only the ruler who knew her, but that he also loved her. And here's the great thing. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the sovereign God. He's the creator. That's why he knows all things. He's God. But he's also become our brother. How did that happen? God became man in Jesus Christ. He took his place with us. He joined the human family. That's what the incarnation, that's what Christmas is all about. That the ruler who knows you has become the brother who loves you. And when you get a taste of his love for you, that is the love of Jesus Christ for you, it will not be long before you find within your own heart some growing reflection of love back towards him. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He's the ruler who knows you. And he's the brother who loves you. And he sure is the victim who is ready to forgive you. Because what happened when he came into the world for us? What happened when he made himself one with us? We nailed him to a cross. He became the victim. He became the sacrifice. He took our sins upon himself. And God raised him up and highly exalted him, making him the prince and the savior, ruling in heaven the one to whom we can come. And when we come to know who he is, the ruler who knows us and the brother who loves us, we come to see too that he is the Savior, the one who sacrificed himself, who's ready to forgive us and ready to reconcile all who will come to him in great love. Now, here's what we learn from this story, that you are known, you are known, completely known, and you are loved, and you can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, who is the loved and favored Son of God. And when you see who He is, why would you not submit to Him as your ruler, and love Him as your brother, and trust Him as your Savior? Pastor Colin Smith finishing the message welcomed and fed here on Open the Bible. And maybe you've come to the point where you realize you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, but you'd like to do that today. If so, we suggest you go and talk to a trusted Christian friend or family member, or you can contact us here at Open the Bible. Just go to the website, openthebible.org.uk, click on Contact Us, and fill out an email form. And starting this month, you can find something new on our website, openthebible.org.uk. It's Colin Smith's Daily Devotionals, a series of short reflections, two or three minutes long, with a new one every day. It's a great way to start the day. They're read by Sue McLeish. Those devotionals begin each day for me, and honestly, I wouldn't be without them. Their content never fails to open up a valuable word from the Bible, which very often will meet a need either in my own circumstance or in that of someone I'm praying for. (laughs) Though the devotionals are short, there's always a message to hold on to and to take with you into the day. 
for Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I hope you can join us next time. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. At its core, what is the great change that God's Holy Spirit brings about in a human life? Find out next time on Open the Bible.